I haramai rā koe i whae, i haramai rā koe i te whakaoti nuku i te whakaoti rangi. Ko tō manawa e kura, ko tōku manawa kairi hia whānō, whānō, haramai te tōki o haumi e, hui e, taiki e. This week on The Hui. MMA is one of the fastest growing sports internationally and Māori fighters are finding a home in the UFC. Bantamweight champion! Far North MMA artist Aaron Toe is looking to be the next in the octagon. 5% will make it to the top. Plus, we have New Zealand first leader Winston Peters live in studio as he fights to make his way back into Parliament. Ka tangi te titi mō ngā hua o te moana, ka tangi te kākā mō ngā hua o te whenua, ka tangi a hau mō ngā hua o te mate. Ngā mate o te wā, haramai haere. Huri tū mai ki a tātou ti hewa Māori ora and welcome back to the hui. MMA or Mixed Martial Arts is growing in popularity in Aotearoa, especially among Māori. Kaikara France and Dan Hooker are already making a name for themselves in the UFC and Far North fighter Aaron Toe is on the cusp of joining them. D'Angelo Martin caught up with the Northlander carving up in the cage. And a quick heads up, his story opens with some pretty tough fight scenes. It's brutal. It's bloody. It's MMA. Mixed martial arts is one of the fastest growing sports globally. And fighters out of Aotearoa are some of the best in the business. Kia ora, my name is Aaron Tozamapto. I am a professional mixed martial artist. Aaron There's a new Māori in the MMA scene. Aaron Toe is about to hit the big time. My biggest goal is just to go up to the big leagues and show the world that I belong there. Just remind them where the greatest warriors on earth come from. In the cage, Aaron's nickname is Tozamap. And with seven wins and zero losses, he's living up to that name. The name Tozamap is like a New Zealand slang for, oh, lack of a better word, giving someone a hiding. Gotta get him again! The meaning behind it is like, you do your job so well, they're flat on their back with their toes up in the sky, so Tozamap, yeah. Home for me, I'm from the Hokianga. Te tai tokerau in a place called Rahiri. But yeah, Hokianga Hard. That was my playground as a kid. We used to ride horses and we had our own gardens and we hunted for our own meat. We lived off the land. But family life was turbulent. When he turned 15, Aaron left home and moved to Brisbane. I was playing league. I got into the Queensland Maldives team. My mentality was win and, and win at all costs, so I was real, like, aggressive. It was his league coach who suggested he try MMA. I just got pushed in the right direction. I'm pretty lucky. Aaron's out, making his way to the cage. He applied for MMA mentorship back in Aotearoa and returned in 2016. And he's won the Dan Hooker scholarship. I haven't looked back since. Professional MMA fighter Dan the Hangman Hooker ran the mentorship program. He was very impressive on the day. He was one of the three or four guys as the first mentorship winners. And yeah, I coached him from there. 
Dan has played a pivotal role in Aaron's career over the last six years. He turned professional, now he's 7-0, uh, undefeated as a professional, and on the cusp of, of breaking into the UFC. So I'm just proud to be a part of that. Aaron's found a home at City Kickboxing in Tamaki Makoto. It's the training ground for our best fighters. The talent and knowledge at my gym is insane. What they've got down is the simple things. The turning up the training consistently, the eating right, the recovery, things that you wouldn't think are as important as they are. Fighting is a lot more than just the physical body, and it's a lot more than just being violent. This is Aaron's world. I definitely used to use my aggression like a lot to win fights, and now I only use my intellect. There's a chess game being played that most people can't even see. You gotta approach and exit exchanges with your intellect. And if you don't do it like that, that is when you get hurt. If you just jump in there and you're just swinging your hands and your legs around, there's no honor, there's no mana in that, there's no maturanga in that. I have to have a healthy respect for the fighter to train them to their optimal. I have to respect them enough that they, that I would form a friendship with them. I know their families. Israel Adesanya has that thing. Israel Adesanya's coach, Eugene Barryman, is now Aaron's coach. He sees Aaron's skills taking him to a higher level. His abilities, they're both physical and mental. He's a very strong-minded individual. His determination to reach his goals, to uh, have a one-track mind and that tunnel vision, that invariably comes with his upbringing and a lot to do with his culture. He's only a small human being, but for a small human being of that size, he's incredibly strong. XFC Bantamweight Champion! He is, in my opinion, the best bantamweight in Australasia and New Zealand. So he's the number one bantamweight. He's developed into a very good fighter. Yeah, very good fighter. Oh, In the next level, like the UFC, a minor, minor mistake can cost you the fight. It can cost you a contract. It can cost you the last 10 years of sacrifice. The technique beats everything. Technique and consistency will make you a champion. But Aaron knows that very few make it. 5% will make it to the top, maybe less. And that 5% to make some real decent money is probably the 1%. And how confident are you? I'm the 1% of the 1%, brother. And it's that confidence that people often mistake for arrogance. Now, culture in New Zealand, no one wants you to keep your head high. No one wants you to walk around like you believe in yourself. I think that they just don't see everything before those moments. You doubting yourself, you working hard and getting beaten up. Months of you fighting every day. Am I good enough? Can I do this? You get broken down systematically and you have to build yourself back up, finding your mana, and holding on to it and believing that you're going to go to battle and you're going to bring those treasures of war back with you to your people. You've never seen the build-up. You've never seen the suffering, the blood, sweat and tears that got you to that moment. They think it's arrogance, but it's really just like, wow, I've done it. I doubted myself and I found the belief and I still stood even though I didn't think I could stand. get his shot in the UFC, he'll be the first with a mataora. That's going to be pretty cool, to take our culture onto a big stage. I have been wanting to get my mataora for a few years. I grew up in the pretty old ways. 
and those things that my grandparents gave to me, I want to pay them homage and pay my people homage when I do represent. I want people to know where I'm from. It was only in March that Aaron got his mataora done. Do you buzz out sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you see it's got your mataora? <laughs> and the funny one is I walk around my house late at night time and I like, walk past the mirror like, oh, hey, hey, you know, I forget. <laughs> Doing a haka in Dunedin, that was definitely a highlight of my career. That was cool. Most of the world has seen the All Blacks and what they represent, and that is like just the edge of Tao Māori. They haven't seen the Manaki Tanga, the Fanonga Tanga. They haven't seen things at the Marae, you know, the way that our culture exists. I do this to create a new pathway for young Māori like me where there was nowhere for someone like me to go. No one wanted to be, to look after me or, you know, to teach me because I was, uh, I had this nature. Yeah, that's it, that's it. Make for us the tackle. <laughs> that's the idea. I'm trying to build a, a whare for the children of Tumatawinga so they have somewhere to come, so they don't feel like an outcast. They feel like they have somewhere to go and uh, use that part of them. And now we have the avenue of making money and, and belonging in society with this ahua. But definitely aggressive. And Tao is such a physical fighter, but that was a fantastic thing. Tao's now got the neck. What does Rafano think of you and your mate? A lot of them didn't like it, especially because they just think of it as a violent sport, but they can see how much it means to me. They can see how hard I work at it, and they definitely respect that. Keeping him grounded are his partner and tamariki. They gave me all of the, my motivation, all of my purpose. I was a bit of a lost soul before they come around. I couldn't really look after myself. Now I've got three kids, and I've got a reason to wake up early. At 29, Aaron has four XFC belts to his name. The belts don't mean a lot to me. They mean a lot more to the people that I care about, kids who I'm from, my own kids, and uh, teach them as possible to attain those heights. But uh, physically and mentally and emotionally, I don't really have a big attachment to them. I hit a goal and I look for the next. The next goal is coming up and the pressure is on. Most people that do quite well get into it in their early 20s. You want to try and hit the big leagues before you turn 30. Usually around 35 is the end of your career. So yeah, I've got about five, six years left to make a billion dollars and uh, hit the road. Nainaha. And our thanks to Alex Bradshaw from Fire Fire for permission to use some of his video in D'Angelo's story. The mercurial leader of New Zealand First after its 30th anniversary in the weekend, the Right Honourable Winston Peters is live in studio next.
It's believed he once described a big city media commentators as, quote, smart, aleck, arrogant, quiche-eating, chardonnay-drinking, pinky, finger-pointing, snobbery, fart blossoms. Luckily, I don't eat quiche, nor do I drink chardonnay. So joining me now in studio on the hui is the Right Honourable Winston Peters. E Kia Thank you for your time. Hope you like the introduction. Let's start with your campaign slogan for this year's yes. election. Let's take our country back. Who are we taking the country back from? No, it's let's take back our country. Stay, okay, who are we taking the country back <laughs> from then? Uh, because what's happened here, you've seen so many changes that were never mandated, never campaigned on, never part of the Labour Party or any other manifesto, but they're out there changing them secretly. The school curriculum, for example, in science, uh, getting rid of uh, all the physics and biology and going into woke, virtue signalling, sexual education and all those things. No parent was told that. And I can go to area after area, or for, for example, our health system. When every Māori who's sick wants to be health treatment now, no, they're, they're changing the name, but they're not giving them the treatment. Okay. And some people are waiting months and months and sometimes eight years. A couple of things I want to point, pick up on there. First of all, woke. What, what does woke mean? I woke up yesterday, I know more than you. <laughs> well, well, I've looked at a definition <laughs> No, no, no. no not I, me, not me. That's them. They're, they're, they're not me. But I see people who they've, they've all of a sudden they discovered something and they think that everybody else knows nothing at all. Well, I, I looked for a definition of it from the Oxford Dictionary and it says aware of social and political issues. Precisely. Like racism. Well, that yeah. means that people like you and Shane Jones are woke, aren't you? No, with the greatest respect, it doesn't mean that at all. But, but you're aware of social and political issues and you're aware no, about racist policies. But, but this is a description that you're reading as though that is the, how shall I say, the defined example of it. No, right. it's not. Many of us see work as people who just discovered something yesterday then all of a sudden are telling some of us who've been on the road working this battle and a mission in life to turn things around that we've always been aware of it. For oh, example, okay. they, they suggest, for example, that I don't, we don't care about the environment. We don't care about the climate. Well, for some of us with a background that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, that is an insult. Of course we care about the environment. OK, so it's a disparaging, almost yes. pejorative word for people who think that some are too easily upset about these issues. Yeah. Uh, and new to the game. So isn't your new candidate, Casey Costello, one of those? Because she talks on behalf of Hobson's Pledge about exactly the same kind of thing. I know. She's setting out in authoritative form what it was all about in the Treaty of Waitangi on the 6th of February in 1840. And as somebody that had a great admiration from a very young age and studied the works and the books of the greatest Maori that there's ever been to Parliament, he got his law degree in two years flat, a doctor of literature, master of arts. This is way back in the start of the last century. And he set out in 1922 exactly what the circumstances are of the Treaty of Waitangi. I believe him and not amateur hour now. OK, all right. So, but I just want to talk about Hobson's Pledge because that's who Casey Costello has for a long time represented and has been a spokesperson for. Mm -hmm. The whole Hobson's Pledge bases itself upon the commentary of one person, Colenso, 50 years after the event, He Iwi Tahitato. What does that mean for you, well, He Iwi Tahitato? Well, I'm not here to speak for Hobson's Pledge other than say I'm delighted to have Casey Costello. This is someone who is the deputy, this number two person in the police. She's a candidate for your party. Yes, that's right. I'm delighted she's joined our party because here's somebody with a similar background from like me, part Ngati Wai, 
from the North, the Northern family, very famous, you may not know this, but they were one of the best sporting families this country's ever seen. Their grandmother was New Zealand Table Test Champion, the sisters and, and all these people were fantastic name. I know the Davises. I went to school with some of them, you see, that's why. Now, my point is here, that it comes from the same tribe as mine as well, same Iwi, but the point is she's pointing out, as a senior former police person with quite a deal of experience, that these things that are being said by the Tamaheris of this world and all these trying to, people trying to rewrite the Treaty of Waitangi, these three clauses, is just false. And I say so as well as a lawyer. And I said so the moment I saw this happening in, the 18, in 1987. The first lawyer that got up and said, hang on, if, Maori, if nobody in the British Commonwealth, or at the time, the British Empire in, a, in UK, in all of those places of the UK, was in partnership with the Queen back on the 5th of February 1840, how come the Māori were, constitutionally speaking, two days later? And I don't want the Māori people to be sidelined on this issue, because I can tell you what I'm seeing here. The worst people who will suffer from this program of trying to rewrite the treaty business or the treaty history is Māori, and I see it. They're not getting the housing, they're not getting the jobs, they're not getting the health, and they're not getting the education. Okay. That's what I've been about all my life. And you want to remove references to things like treaty principles. What are the treaty principles you want to remove? Well, I love that question that you've asked. Can you possibly explain what they are? Because I've gone to universities, I've had all sorts of people... No, I'm asking you... Like Margaret Mutuana, because I don't believe there are any principles in the way they say they are. But, That's but, my, no. but if you're trying to remove them and you don't know it's what the they are... Box. That's been my challenge. They are uh, teaching principles of the Treaty okay, of Waitangi... I'll, I'll tell you no, what no, they no. are then. Let me tell you. They are teaching these principles at the Treaty of Waitangi at universities and I've been here to challenge them and said to them, excuse me, how come the other universities have got different principles? OK, well, I'll tell you what they are then. Tino Rangatiratanga, which is Article 2 of the Treaty. So you want to remove one think? of the what principle which is in Article 2 Now, what do you think that means? What do I think that means? You're the politician. You're the one that's put the hand no, up. No, you no, want to go back into Parliament. You want to remove the principle. No. Your people knows what tenoranga tiratanga means. You know what it means? The chief's word is gospel. Not everybody, just the chief. And if we had then at the time co-governance going on back in 1840, if we had co-governance going on then, then which chief's word was gospel if they differed? You see, it doesn't stack up. Well, co-governance is a means to an end. The end is tinoranga tiratanga. No, no, the ends the means... No, the ends of this plan that these people prescribe is separatism and a separate vote. Oh, it's and not. two systems. You know it's not. See, oh, this is, no, this is no, the thing I that, do. That, that, no, it is. That's th my this point. This is the thing that I actually don't get. I actually don't think you actually believe that. I really don't. Because oh, with respect. But I no, when, you did, when you did ka awatea, tinoranga tiratanga and rangatiratanga was referred to specifically in that document. It was also referred to a lot by one of the key authors of ka awatea, by Tarangiho. So I actually don't think you believe well, excuse it. me. I'm the minister that brought in ka awatea. No, I know. And you know what it meant? What? You know what the message of ka awatea was? We can make it with unity and blood, sweat and tears. That's the reason why we sold it. That's how we sold it. I know ka awatea. I was the author of it. I know. Right? I know. Now and you're such a telling me. Rangatiratanga, and one of the authors, after the release yes. of Kawatea, spoke specifically about the aspiration to achieve Tino Rangatiratanga, which is one of the very principles that you talk about wanting to remove. Look, I was there, you weren't. Let me tell you. No, no, you've come to the wrong house, mate. I'll tell you something here. I got the Maori Queen and Every Māori chief down because that's what Tino Ranga Tiratanga means. But you've got a whole lot of people asserting their Tino Ranga Tiratanga and they've got no capacity for that at all. And I am seeing it everywhere. 
as they say, far too many chiefs and not enough Indians. We're going to talk more about policy, particularly <laughs> announced over the weekend. At your conference, we'll have more from Winston Peters, the leader of New Zealand First, after the break. We are back live with New Zealand first leader Winston Peters. When you started the party in 93, what were you trying to achieve and what's changed? Look, I've been a member for a long time of the National Party and I joined it for reasons that, for example, Sir James Henare told me he joined the National Party as well. And he said the critical reason was that the Labour Party had a rule 242, which was the party's conscience is your conscience. And he said, no one believes in freedom could go down that path, and nor did I. Mm. So well, I remember the National Party, and I slogged it out on the campaigns on the way through. In 1990, I did 25 marginal seats in that massive victory we had. Mm. And then I saw the National Party throw its manifesto in the rubbish bin and bring out the secret agenda that none of us never even knew about. Ah. And then we headed down the same path, and we destroyed our people's, people's belief in democracy. That's how we got ended up with MMP. People were, were sick and tired of first past the post and parties not keeping their promise. Now, as you know, David Long is my testimony for this. He was hijacked by Roger Douglas, and he'll say, he says so. Yep. They just threw their manifesto and rubbish bin as well. Okay. And we did it again. And so I started, uh, I was there, and we, I was there with a guy that was on the Dominion Council many years ago on the National Party of Me, and we said, look, if we can't turn this party around, we're going to have to start a party, and that's what we did. And you did, and you were also very successful in 1996, winning mm. all the Māori seats. Why then is someone who, and the party that they lead, that was so successful in the Māori seats, now looking to abolish those seats? Because I campaigned in 1996, in all the Māori seats on the basis we can turn our circumstances around, if we believe in these things, that it's going to be hard work and it's going to be a lot of tears and a lot of sacrifice, but if we focus on what Māori really need, that's affordable housing, on ready access to health treatment as fast as possible, and on education and escalators to take our young as far as they want to go if they're prepared to make the work, and the last thing, first world wages, that's what I sought to focus on. But here I am acting in the National Party and I had a group of Māori members with me who completely forgot that what they were there for. That, that's, that's before 96, Winston. In 96, you had a mandate from Māori to, to act and represent their voice in Parliament. Now, you lost that mandate in 99, but now you want to abolish the seats. Is this simply because no, the personal has become political? No, because, you see, I was the person also, and I've been accused of it, that did more to bring about the arrival of MMP in this country. There's been books about it, accusing me of it. But I brought it about because I wanted people to have a far better voice than... A government in which I was when only having 39% of the vote and yet governing the country. But don't, don't people get a better voice by having a Māori electorate seat? No, no, I'm talking Particularly about... Particularly about Māori issues. Yeah, I'm, I'm about trying to finish housing. my answer. Educate. It's complex. It's complicated, like the movie says. Here's my point, Mr Wilcox. Look, when we bought an MMP and the Commission said so, in time it'll prove to the Māori people that no, there will be no need for separate seats. Look, I was only one of four over since 1867. Oh. No, since 1867 only one of four Māori to ever get a general seat, right? Now, so we're going into this election in uh, 996 and, and the commission had said 
MMP will prove in time that there is no need for a separate franchise. And it has. There are 28% sometimes of Parliament now with Māori in them. But, but the needs and issues for Māori still exist. I mean, we're talking about well, of them course now. They exist. Exist. So, so how can yeah. you get rid of the Māori seats when the, those issues because, haven't been because the, and there aren't equitable outcomes, which has led to things well, like Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Māori seats will not deliver them. But the rest of us can, and well, we will. They'll deliver the voice and the mandate for the people to be able to act on their, and, and represent their interests to be able to deliver Well, can I ask you a few things? And I'll point to, you point to Māori members of parliament. You tell me what they've delivered for Māori people. Because I know I've done a, delivered a stack for the Māori people twice in my career. I've seen wages dr rise dramatically. Okay. Oh, twice oh, in oh, my career, I've found serious increases in health budget. Oh, twice in my career, I've looked after the age in this world. And now twice in my career, I've been out to, in, in terms of uh, education and brought about the biggest university intake for Māori ever in okay. this country's history. I, I want to talk about and I can keep on talking for the next day about this on your program. And I hope one day you get me back <laughs> so you people will know that I, I, I those who do things back. and those who just talk. <laughs> I, I do want to talk about one of the other things that you want to deliver. You talked about a gang prison and to designate all gangs as terrorist organisations. Yeah. Given the amount of Māori who are in gangs, given the amount of Māori who are already in the correction system, why would you want to set up a location that would be a recipe for extreme violence and a threat, actually, to people who would end up working in corrections when most of them, again, will be us? What do you think's going on now? Excuse me. I've been to prisons for a young lawyer and since that time as well. What on earth do you think is going on now? It's happening now, but a whole lot of people who are not part of the gangs are being recruited in there. And I know that every time this happens, there's a certain people in this country, a certain ethnic group, who are shamed every night on 6 o'clock news. That's the Māori people, and I want an end to it. This, this sounds like it's going to be a gang gitmo. And the, and the US experience you, shows us that's you, a massive can you, mistake. Can you not get a fix on this? That's what's happening now. We but don't need to build a new prison. No, no, no. See, you come on, you've already made up your mind. This no, is no, no, no. This I'm, is an interview I'm, where you're going to find out facts. And here, let me tell you the fact here. Okay. We don't need a new prison at all. We just need to give the prison officers far more support, far greater reason for having good morale, and give them uh, better wages and, get, and have more of them. We don't need to build a new prison. But I'll tell you what the result of my policies will be. You'll see a dramatic decline in prisons the real way. Because I've also said that if you don't want to go down that pathway, we're going to find you a 40-hour-week job. We're going to pay you properly. But that's the corollary. Take that choice or go down the narrow path. And I know out in the Māori world there are mothers and fathers who want that course mm. rather than what we're seeing now. Perpetually getting worse and worse with no solutions and all this all this sort of woke nonsense about the conditions. I'm from a Māori place. I'm from a Māori school. And I can tell you now... We had everybody employed in the, all our neighbourhood. Uh, I have to leave it there. You can see that, by the way. I'm shuffling my papers. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. I do appreciate you coming on the programme. Thank you very we much. wish you the best for the election yes. campaign. And hope we get to talk to you again very soon. Hey, to Wiki. Thank you. Coming up next week on the Hui. There's no intimacy and it definitely doesn't feel like our culture. Funeral homes are no longer the only option after a mate. I found there was a whole other way that we could do to papaku death care. Traditional Māori ways of caring for tu papaku are being revived in the Bay of Plenty. This process for me is really healing. Using a shroud on tu papaku is always a real honour. It's very important to, you know, keep your weave tight so that your tu papaku don't fall out helping ease the financial burden of funeral costs. 
can be up to 10,000 each, and, you know, within a year. That's, that's a lot of money for, for whānau here. And empowering whānau. We can do this ourselves. Looking forward to next week's show. That's us for this week. You'll find all our stories on our Facebook, Twitter and YouTube accounts or at newshub.co.nz. Until next week, engai we kemau ki te tūranga o tapu tapu ate, haumie, huie, taikie. Nā te puna whakatongarewa, te hui i tautoko.